0: It's so great to see so many of you here tonight. Thank you for coming back this evening. While they're passing out the handouts, I will take time to bring you up to date. I've had a lot of people asking about uh, how my foot is progressing, so let me just bring you up to date. I have uh, four major hurdles that I had to clear. Uh, I've cleared three of them, so that is great. I'm now facing my last one and that is uh, how well my foot and ankle are going to bear weight and I started therapy and I've just begun to gradually put uh, very little weight on that left foot I get uh, therapy again Tuesday Thursday I have x-rays to see uh, how that has affected those those bones and uh, also the the screws and everything that's in my foot And if nothing has moved or altered as a result result of putting some weight on it, then I can put more weight uh, on my foot and progress and uh, eventually uh, be walking if uh, I can bear the weight. So uh, I appreciate your prayers. that indeed, uh, those bones would uh, strengthen and uh, carry this this frame and uh, be back walking in the relative near future. Looking forward to that. I think everybody has a handout. Tonight we are looking at the topic, Pleasing God. It's in association with what we considered last week uh, under the heading of of, uh, Keeping Yourself in the Love of God. Knowing that uh, we want to please God. The first question is, is it possible to please God? Because I think there is a tendency... Uh, among Christians to think that it's just impossible. Uh, God desires perfection. And none of us are perfect. Is God ever pleased with anything less than a perfect, complete devotion to Him? That's what we want to look at tonight. And the idea is that we might find joy in our Christian experience, knowing that we are, in fact, pleasing God, bringing pleasure to Him. Key verse tonight is 2 Corinthians 5.9. Uh, the theme is the great motivation for godliness in the Christian life is to please God. I find no higher, greater reason to live a godly or holy life other than to please God. 1 Corinthians 5.9. Here is Paul's testimony. Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, he's referring to uh, the body, he's referring to whether in this life or the next, to be pleasing to him. To be pleasing to him. He wants to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. So, he wants to be found pleasing now, and he wants to be found to be pleasing in the future. So, we begin with a question. Is it possible to be pleasing to God? This is the question that Eliphaz put to Job. Is there any pleasure to the Almighty if you are righteous, or profit if you make your ways perfect? Is it anything to God that we are seeking to live a righteous and holy life? Does that please him? And the answer is a resounding yes. There are many instances in which we bring joy to the heart of God. Just one such example is given in the book of Colossians. Colossians 3.20 Children, Be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to God. This is well-pleasing to the Lord. Thus, God is pleased when children are obedient to their parents. I appreciate the children's choir singing tonight. I want you to know, and it's a great uh, thought, that when you are being Obedient to your parents, it not only pleases them, but it pleases God. That's what he wants from you. When we are speaking of pleasing God, we are not talking about some meritorious effort to try and obtain salvation. Pleasing God can only occur after a person has exercised saving faith. Hebrews 11.6 And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. It's impossible to please God if one does not know Him as Lord and Savior. But if you do know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then it is possible to please God. What we are speaking of is bringing delight and joy to the heart of God. Matthew 3.16 And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And behold, a voice out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. To be pleasing to God stands in antithesis to grieving God. Psalm 78, verse 40. How often they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert. Ephesians 4.30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed of the day of redemption. So when we sin against God, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It causes the Holy Spirit pain, sorrow, sadness. Conversely, when we obey God, it brings him pleasure. The Apostle John spoke concerning what pleased him. 3 John 1.4 I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Likewise, God has great joy when we walk in the truth. It is the obedient heart that always brings pleasure to God. 1 Samuel 15.22 Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings as? And sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Even sacrifices are not pleasing to the Lord when they are offered in a perfunctory manner. Jeremiah 6.20 For what purpose does frankincense come to me from Sheba and the sweet cane from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable And your sacrifices are not pleasing to me. Sacrifices are ever only pleasing to God. When they are brought in obedience. Malachi 3.3 And he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi. And refine them like gold and silver. So that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then offering of judah in jerusalem will be pleasing to the lord thus in our worship we must come with obedient hearts psalm 104 33 i will sing to the lord as long as i live i will sing praise to my god while i have my being let the meditation be pleasing to him as for me i shall be glad in the lord It is important, not merely that we come to a worship service. We are to worship when we come to a service. And we need to understand that that worship, as we spoke just a couple of weeks ago, that it's a heart of worship is the proclamation of the word of God. And that is because it reveals to us the will of God. And we worship God in the fullest sense when we acknowledge the worthiness of God, when we intend, when it is our intention, when we have dedicated ourselves not simply to be hearers of the Word of God, but doers of the Word of God. That's what pleases Him. It's not our simply giving thanks or praising God verbally, but it's the heart response that says to God, I am going to seek to follow you. The ultimate goal of the Christian life should be to please God. This was the motivation or foundation for the life of the Apostle Paul, as we have said. Therefore, also we have our ambition, whether at home or absent, be pleasing to him. It is absolutely essential that Christians be theocentric or God centered as opposed to anthropocentric or man-centered. All too often, the concept is that God exists for my pleasure. In reality, we exist for God's pleasure. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. That God made things to bring Him pleasure. In seeking to please God, we are kept from sin. That is the ultimate sanctifying influence in our lives. A desire to please Him. I know as a young person one of the great sanctifying influences in my life was a desire to please my Father. I wanted to, uh, to please Him. And so I did those things that He wanted me to do. As we desire to please God we will do those things that He desires us to do. One who seeks to please God will flee from sin. Deacities 7.26 And I discovered more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chained. One who is pleasing to God will escape from her. But the sinner will be captured by her. You see, the one who wants to please God is going to flee From that influence. The one who is not concerned. About pleasing God. Is going to fall into a snare. For the reason. He does not sin. Is order to please God. I think the supreme example of that. Is found for us. In the life of Joseph. And it came about. That from the time that he made him overseer. That is. Potiphar, referring to Joseph. And over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him, there, he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came about after these events that his master's wife, Looked with desire at Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I. And he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then? Could I do this great evil and note and sin against God? It's not how can I do this great evil and betray this man? The idea is how can I do this great evil and sin against God? If we aren't concerned about sinning against God, if there's any other motivation, it is going to fail us. It is going to fail us. You see, see, in an anthropocentric theology, the reason we do not sin is man-centered. These are all man-centered and failing reasons why we should live a holy life. The first is the harm that will come to us. The harm that will come to us. And there is harm that comes to us through sin. The misery that it will bring to others. And there is misery that it brings to others. The poor example that we set. And we do set a poor example. All of those things are true. But also, all of those things are lacking. They are purely man-centered reasons. But they are the very kinds of things that are often most hyped Or talked about. For example, why should a young person not engage in premarital sex? If you read most things from a Christian perspective, they'll talk about the harm that it does. They'll talk about how you might get a sexually transmitted disease, and indeed you might. It talks about the uh, hardships that it's going to bring into your life, and in fact, it will. They will talk about the misery that it will bring to others, and it does. It uh, causes hardship within families. Parents and children are estranged. There is all kinds of misery and tears that it brings. The poor example it will set, and indeed it does set a poor example. All those things are true. And all of those things are very man centered. And the Word of God teaches us that we are not to be pleasing to men, but be pleasing to God. And quite frankly, I think that that's what is encouraged because most Christians think that if you talk about pleasing God, that's not going to have much of an effect. That really isn't really going to bring about much change in a person's life. So hang with me as we work through this process. In a theocentric theology, the reason we do not sin is God centered. We want to please Him. We want to glorify Him. Christian maturity is directly related to our knowledge of what it means to please the Lord. What it means to please the Lord. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That that is the purpose, that we are to walk in light. That is the reason we are to study the Scriptures. That's the reason why we're to dedicate ourselves to a study of, Of the word of God. To try to learn what it is that pleases God. What does he delight in? How can we please him? To walk in the light, our obedience must be informed by the word of God. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists and all goodness, and righteousness, and truth. Conversely, to walk in darkness is to stumble about, not knowing how to please the Lord. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. It is the Word of God that teaches us what is pleasing to God. The goal, and now here's where we're going to... Set down and get immensely practical. The goal of pleasing God answers the great why questions in theology. I want to show you tonight the difference between a man centered theology and a God centered theology. In an anthropocentric or man centered theology, everything is to be understood in its relationship to mankind. Which raises many thorny issues. One such question. And I'm sure you've heard this. If a person's salvation is eternally secure. If you are assured today. That you are a child of God. And no matter what. You are going to be in the presence of God. If you say that. Then here's the question. What motivation is there for godly living? Why not just go out and sin? You see, if, if, if it isn't based on my works, if it isn't based on my goodness, then why live a holy life? Why do anything right? Why not just sin and get away with it? That reveals an anthropocentric theology. What is in it for me to live a godly life? Why should I live a godly life? What am I going to get out of it? Or what am I going to lose if I know? However, the answer is theocentric. The answer is that we are to live our lives to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10:31. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. We are to please him. So, why do we live a godly life knowing that our lives and the way that we live them is not going to be the ultimate determiner, determination of our eternal destination? And presence of God. Answer. Because I want to please him. And you want to please him. It's not about us. It's about him. And it pleases God. When we live a righteous and holy life. And it displeases God. When we live a life of sin. Another question that is often raised. And I'm sure you've heard this one. If election is true, why witness? If God is going to save a people, and if God has predetermined before the foundation of the world that a people would be born again, then why in the world would anybody ever witness? Heard that one? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. Sure, sure you've heard it. If a man is going to be saved, whether I witness or not, then there is no need for me to witness. In that understanding, again, very man centered, very anthropocentric, the sole purpose in witnessing is to save men and women. In a theocentric theology, the reason we witness is God centered. One, we witness because God has commanded us to do so. Go you into all the world and make disciples. So out of a desire to please God, who has commanded us to take the gospel to the other ends of the earth, then we take the gospel to the other ends of the earth, knowing that it pleases God. God delights in that. God is happy with that. We witness to bring glory to His name. That all peoples would acknowledge His lordship, His kingship. It brings Him glory as knees bow before Him. Thus, God is pleased when I witness. Even when someone does not repent. You see, the results... Are not in our hands. We can't. Bring about. Salvation. We can't. Manipulate people. Into the kingdom of God. And many people. Become frustrated. And even. Quit witnessing. Because. They haven't seen much fruit. Because they witness. And it doesn't seem like. Anyone's getting saved. So, why witness if nobody's getting saved? Answer, because it pleases God. It is the witness itself. Not the fruit. Not the outcome. For it is all in God's hands. What pleases Him is that we are simply faithful. And proclaiming the gospel. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a God-centered theology. We witness. Because He has commanded it. It brings glory to His name. It pleases Him. Another question is often raised. If God knows what I have need of before I ask. Then why pray? If God is all-knowing. If God is all wise, if God knows the beginning from the end and God knows my heart, then why would I pray? What's in it for me? I don't need to pray. He knows what I need. And after all, isn't prayer just expressing what I need and what I want for God? A man-centered, anthropocentric theology. If the goal of praying is just to have my needs met, then the question is a valid one. But it's also very man-centered. If the goal of praying is theocentric, if it's God-centered, then the reason we pray is because God is pleased when we pray. Revelation 8.4 The smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So, God is pleased when we give thanks. God is pleased when we commune with him. Now, think about this for a moment. Let's suppose you're a parent and you have a child. And you know what that child wants, okay? It's pretty evident they've told you a thousand times what they want for Christmas. And it's only September, okay? And so, you're well-informed. Of what they want for Christmas. Why should they talk to you. Between September and December. You already know what they want. You know what they need. They need money. And they need food. And they need clothing. So why in the world would they ever talk to you? Well hopefully they want to commune with you. Hopefully they want to have fellowship with you. Hopefully every now and again. They'll thank you for those things that you have provided. Knowing that they have need of them. You want to hear from them. Because you love them. And want to have fellowship with them. So then prayer takes on a whole different dimension. Of simply praying because it pleases God. It's a mind-boggling thought, but God wants to have a relationship with us. God wants us to delight in Him. God longs for us to be with Him. He saved us that we might be in His presence forever. And so we pray... In order to foster that relationship with God, not just for our benefit and what we get out of it. Because in a mind-boggling way, God wants to hear from me. And God wants to hear from you. And that pleases God. That pleases God. When our desire is to please God, we pray aright. The reason we do not pray aright is because too often we want to please ourselves. James 4, 1-3. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust, but do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not ask because you ask, excuse me, you do ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So often, our prayer life Is man centric. It's. it's, It's anthropocentric. It's about either pleasing me. Or making sure that somebody else. Is pleased. That somebody else. Is cared for. That somebody else. Is helped. Or that we are helped. It's not about bringing glory to God. Or exalting his name. Or praying that. His. Power might be revealed and his name might be manifested. It's about man. It's incredible how easy it is for what is intended to be a God centered theology quickly becomes a man centered one. However, we pray correctly when we desire to please God. And whatever we ask, we receive him because we keep his commandments and do the things. That are pleasing in his sight. Now that is not to be understood. As a reward. Or more meritorious. It is simply saying. Whenever we ask. We receive from him. Why? In James it is because you don't ask correctly. In 1 John. You receive because. The desire is to keep his commandments. When you are praying. And asking God for strength. And for help for a renewed spirit, for a spiritual understanding, for strength to stand and do what is right, when you're asking God to take away this heart that seeks and lusts and is corrupted, and you are pouring out your heart and saying to God, restore a right spirit within me. May the words of my mouth, may the meditations of my heart, Be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. When we pray that way, we can be assured that God hears and God is pleased. God hears and God is pleased. I didn't use the example, I didn't put it here, but we've been in Ecclesiastes. And if you remember, it starts with the prayer of Solomon. Solomon. And God says to Solomon, I'll give you whatever you want. And what he wants is the knowledge to be able to rule God's people correctly. And remember how it pleased God. How it delighted God's heart. Number seven. In seeking to please God, we guard our hearts. In seeking to please God, we become holy in our actions. Slaves be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. So much of the Christian experience is more about pleasing others than it is about pleasing God. So much of the Christian experience is about worrying about what other people are going to say about me. What if somebody else finds out? And it doesn't matter as long as somebody else doesn't find out. But lo and behold, if somebody else were to know what we are doing, we would be devastated. So often, what thrills our heart is when we get a compliment from someone else. When they pat us on the back and tell us that we have done a good job. Or we are devastated when somebody else criticizes us. Or finds fault in what we do. It's incredibly liberating. When our one motivation is to be pleasing to God. And now that even when someone else criticizes us when we are from our heart seeking to do the right thing and seeking to glorify Him, that it brings pleasure to Him. And we can feel good about what we are doing. And no matter if somebody compliments us, if we're not doing what is right, it displeases God. And so for many, the temptation is to try to please others. And that leads us down so often a pathway that actually ends in displeasing God. One of the great uh, trends of our day are accountability partners. What's the best way to live a godly life? Make yourself accountable to another human being. Well, there's a measure of truth in that, so I don't want to jump on it too hard. But I tell you, the greatest accountability is Our accountability towards God. He's the one who's with us every moment. He sees us at all times. We don't have to disclose to him who and what we are. He knows who and what we are. You see, the issue is, do I care? Do I care? Am I more motivated... By what a human being thinks about me, or am I more motivated by what God thinks about me? That's what's pleasing to God. In seeking to please God, the improper ends no longer justify the means. First Thessalonians two, four, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God. So here the idea is, Paul says, I've been entrusted with the gospel. And so, his greatest desire is to please God as opposed to pleasing men. Number one, because Paul's goal in preaching the gospel was to glorify God, then there were certain things he did not do. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from yourselves or others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. You see, there is so much in the area of witnessing. It's about what people like, what people enjoy, what people are going to respond to. As opposed to what God would want and what God would desire. Therefore. God was really glorified, First Thessalonians 2.13. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the Word of God's message, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Paul said, when you responded, it wasn't because of men's words. It wasn't manipulation. It wasn't an appeal that got an emotional response. The very manner in which Paul preached the gospel actually assured that the responses that he received were genuine. They weren't false. Because he was not appealing to the baser instincts of men. He wasn't offering something to them That they wanted. His was not the health and wealth gospel that human beings respond to out of a natural response. He preached the Word of God that's quick and powerful and sharper than a two edged sword and is capable and does regenerate those whom God has called. And so God was glorified when Paul preached. Because it was evident that this indeed was a work of God. There was no other explanation. There was no other reason why people would put their faith and trust in God. Other than the work of the Holy Spirit. May it be our supreme An ultimate desire in life to honor and glorify God. We have to work hard. We really do. We have to work very, very hard at having a theocentric, God-centered theology. Because we are surrounded by a man-centered, anthropocentric world. Even in Christendom. It's all about human beings. When it ought to be, all about God. But when it's all about God, humans are richly blessed. Let's pray. Our Father, help us. Help us to center upon you. Help us to delight in you and want to please you. For we know that, indeed, that will guard our hearts. That will change everything for us when it is truly our one ambition that whether we are absent or present here on this earth or standing before you that we be pleasing to you. We will truly be godly when that is our desire. And sin will be removed from us And we will be leading pure and holy lives. And we will be freed from hypocrisy. When we are one thing in the presence of others. And another thing in the privacy of our own selves. O Lord, guard us in private by seeking in both private and public that which is pleasing to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.